This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. All right. Um, Again, when we hit here on the area of faith, I don't know if you've ever seen this in the Word of God, but God responds to faith. He, He doesn't respond to need. I know that's hard for us to swallow at times. But if God responded to need, none of us in this room would have a need. And I can take you through passages of Scripture. If you remember the woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5, actually Mark 5 verse 34, the Lord said, He said to the woman when, she'd be, be, when she was whole, He said, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. He didn't say, your need caused me to move in that. He said, your faith is made whole. You may remember the passage in Matthew 8 with the centurion. The Lord Jesus said this about this Roman military offer. He said, I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. He didn't say a great need. And so, faith is a big deal to God. Not a little big deal, but it's a big deal. And it's like God says, I'm just looking for faith. Now, let me help you with the word faith. God said, I'm I'm just looking for ones that will actually believe me and trust me. And so the more the word I hear about God, the more God's word reveals to me his character, who he is. So we start in James 1, verse number 6. And it says, but let him ask in faith. That's an interesting statement right there. If you'll notice, he said, let him ask in faith. He didn't say, just let him ask. But he said, just let him ask in faith. And so when you see that acting in faith, that means I I believe I receive. Now, biblically, that's Mark 11, 24. Whatsoever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you'll have them. So again, immediately within the Word of God, He tells me here, i, I got to ask in faith. And so if you go into the things and you're asking to God and you got your fingers crossed, you say, Lord, man, I, I hope this works. Think about what He just said. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. The word doubting there means being divided in decision making. Another definition of that is uh, uh, not asking with qualms. In other words, thinking, boy, I I sure hope that he's going to do this. So he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Just just briefly here, just, just meditate on what he just said there. Let not that man think that he will receive anything of the Lord. No gray areas, no exceptions. So again, when I I read these two verses, man, I got to get a hold of this right here. 
Because these verses right here, it shows me once again, God responds to us when we ask in faith. And so looking at it there again, today, again, I, I got to approach God in faith. And the best way I can tell you to do that is when you find scriptures that you're standing on to ask God for, and remember that scripture is your title deed. So when you hear what the Word of God understands, that's God's will. That's God's desire. That's why it's important that you pray in line with the Word of God because, again, you're going to fall in line with God's Word. Verse 8. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The man who, who doubts. So when you see right there the double-minded man, this would be a man who, who would vacillate between belief and disbelief. And he sometimes thinks, you know what? God's going to help me. And then other times he thinks, God's not going to do anything at all. And so the lack of consistency here it betrays the very things that God desires us to do. So he said, listen, you've got to get over and you've got to learn to ask in faith. Believe you receive it. Turn a few pages back to your left. Just right here, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Just some thoughts for you there as we begin. Now, we've, we've been going through the book of Hebrews 11. I don't know, for several months now. We're getting closer and closer to the end. But tonight we hone in on verse 31. Now this, this is incredible passage right here, okay? So we begin, Hebrews 11, verse 31. By faith, how about stated this way? By an act of faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe. She did not perish with those who refused to trust God. One translation says, those who were disobedient. So again, if you'll get a hold of that right there, this harlot named Rahab, she didn't perish with those who did not believe. So you know what that tells me? She believed God. She trusted God. Keep reading. When she had received the spies with peace. So I begin to look at all this and and, and really back in about verse 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, on and on and on, you study about Moses. Moses was this incredible man of faith, we know. And then you get into verse 30 where it talked about the walls of Jericho fell, and that was through a, a man named Joshua. And then all of a sudden, you see this statement in here, by an act of faith, the harlot Rahab. And it's almost like when I look at that, that, that's out of place. And so if not careful, that phrase right there, it can literally knock religious people right off their feet. And the reason I say that is this is a harlot who ends up in Hebrews 11, what we call the Faith Hall of Fame. But what's interesting to this is Scripture qualifies this woman with the same faith that Abraham and Sarah had, with what Moses had, and even Joshua had. 
Now this harlot slips into the galleries of faith. It's incredible to me. So I, I begin to think about this. You know, if you were to go into different Hall of Fames, you know, I mean the, the NASCAR Hall of Fame, the Cowboy Hall of Fame, uh, the, the, the NFL Hall of Fame. You would walk into this room and you would see big old portraits of people that were in there. I mean, if you walked into the, the football hall of fame, you would go way back to the, the Vince Lombardi's, the Dick Butkus, and some of you say, I don't even know who you're talking about. The Roger Staubachs. I don't know who that is either. Okay, we'll keep going on. We'll keep adding people. And, and you would see all these pictures. So we walk into this faith hall of fame of the Bible, and, and you see Moses, and you see Abraham and Sarah, and you see Joshua, and then you look up, and there's a picture of this harlot. And you have this thought, how did she make it? How did she get in there? And if I go back to verse 31, God said it was because of an act of faith. And you know what that ought to tell every one of us? We ought to hoot and holler for stuff like that. Pastor, are you insinuating we're harlots? No, I'm insinuating we're sinners. <laughs> and so again, when I look at this, it doesn't matter how far you've fallen. It doesn't matter how much you've messed up. You may have spent time in jail. You may have been a drunk. You may have been a druggie. You may have been a harlot. But when I read this right here, you know what it says? God doesn't give up on you. And God doesn't quit. And so something happens when, when I begin to believe God. And I'm going to say this right now. I don't care what your list or your resume of your life may look like. The blood of Jesus is greater than that. <laughs> yeah, you ought to clap. I, I get excited about that. You know why? I was, a, I was a good sinner. I had a letter jacket with me. Man, I'm, I lettered in sin for many years of my life. And so, man, when they told me this guy named Jesus died for me and his blood covered my sin, I was like, man, thank the Lord. But, but too many times we have this thought. God, God could, never, could never use me. God would never accept me. But the truth of the matter, all of us have these tattoos on our hearts and our life because of the things we've done. But if you study the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, it cleanses us. It washes us. And so when you begin to see this right here, you can be a person of faith just like how she was. Now here just for a second. You see this, this statement in here and it says, the harlot... Rahab. What if we put your name in there right now? What would it say? Well, I can tell you what mine would say real quick. It would say, Stormy the drunk. <laughs> but God is still in the business of taking messes and makes miracles. And so again, I, I, don't, I don't care what would define your life at times. Understand this. It wasn't a mistake that this woman named Rahab the harlot got into the Faith Hall of Fame. 
That was God saying, man, I'll welcome you. So, go all the way back to the book of Joshua chapter 2. And this is where we're going to pick up. And so what you'll begin to see in this passage is this woman who through an act of faith, she trusted and believed God. And so let me tell you what's going on here. The Israelites have come in, they've crossed the river, and they're getting ready to go into the promised land. Joshua sends out two spies to check out the land. So we're, we're in Joshua 2. Just look at verse 1, and it'll, it'll fill in the blanks just a little bit more for us. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from a Kesiah grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and they lodged there. So I'm studying this and, and this is what jumped out that God, he led these two men to the one person in all of Jericho that believed and trusted him. And it happened to be a harlot named Rahab. Now I look at this and I think, okay, what, what changed this woman? What changed her where she would believe God? Okay, stay with me, same chapter. Pick up with me in, in verse 10. So they've gone in. She takes them in. She hides them. And verse 10 says, she's talking to them. And she says, for we have heard... How the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For when the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sahan and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. Verse 11. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. So, so again, I want you to pick up something there. In verse 10, it says, we heard. And then verse 11 again, she heard. So her faith came because what she heard about God. Now listen, listen real close. She heard about it, but I wonder how many other people heard about it. So it's one thing to hear the word of God or to hear about God, but it's another thing to believe it. So here's this woman. She heard these things about God. How do you know it was about God? Keep reading verse 11. Watch this. And so she said, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And so she says here, your Lord is God. Your God is Lord, there is no other. And so Rahab recognized here the God of heaven. And if you look at the end of verse 11, that's what she said. He is God of heaven and earth. So he, she says right here, your God is no ordinary God. The stuff I've heard about him, I believe it. And so it begins to get in her heart. Verse 12. Now therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show me kindness to my father's house, and give me a true token. And give me a true token. Give me a, a pledge of truth. 
Now, now remember that statement right there, that little phrase, give to me a, a, a true token, because we're going to see what that is here in just a little bit. Verse 13, and she says, and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. I'm going to jump ahead in the story a little bit. Because of this woman's faith and her trust in God, her house stood when every other house in Jericho fell and was destroyed. When I read that passage right there, I have to ask myself this. What kind of house am I building? What kind of house are you building? And so she built her house off of faith and trust in a living God. And she lived in a society that were called the Canaanites. And they were some of the most ungodly people. But yet she chose to believe God in this situation. So again, she hides these spies. They leave, or they're on the verge of leaving. And before they leave, this is verse 18 and 19. Watch this. So they say to her, Unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the windows through which you'll let us down. This becomes right here, when you see this, this scarlet cord, which I like to refer to at times as faith on a string. This was the token. This was the token. Remember, she said, Give me a token, a true token. And so they said to her, we're going to give you this scarlet cord and you hang it from the very window that you're going to let us down from. So evidently, it was up high. It was something that you would have to look up at it see. Now, when you study the scarlet cord here, the, the scarlet cord was, was symbolic of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. That scarlet cord was literally... This house is blood-bought. So she, they go on and say, you put that in your window when you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all their household to your own home, so it will be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house in the street, his blood shall be on his head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on your head, and a hand, if a hand is laid on him. So guess what you see right here? Her house was marked by the blood of Jesus. And when I read this, what do you think happened every day when she went out of the house? I guarantee when she walked out, she would look up to make, that scar make sure that scarlet cord was hanging. Day by day by day. And I believe this with all my heart when it talks about all her family members, her mama, her daddy, her siblings, nieces and nephews, all of them. You know what? She would tell them, I believe she'd say, listen, if all hell starts breaking loose, whatever you do, get under the blood. Get under the scarlet cord. I don't care what it is. But when I look at this, understand, here's the key to this. Who appropriated 
that scarlet cord? She did. It came a choice within her to say, there's that scarlet cord. I've got to choose to come under that scarlet cord. Now for time's sake, go back with me to your left to the book of Exodus chapter 12. Throughout the Old Testament, you will see references that all point to the blood of Jesus, okay? So we read here in Exodus 12, and this is what the, is called the Passover was instituted. So what's going on here is, is uh, the man of God, Moses, he had seen God do plague after plague against the Egyptians, and they wouldn't let God's people go. So he said, this is the last one, the death of the firstborn. The death of the firstborn is in reference to judgment. God was bringing judgment upon them, just like God brought judgment across Jericho. And if we would have read the rest of the story there in, in Joshua 2, you know what happened? That whole city got wiped out. Everybody in that whole city got wiped out, except Rahab and those ones that were in her home. Was it because Rahab was the citizen of the year? No. Nope. It's because she lived under the blood of the Lamb. So in this passage, watch what takes place here. We begin Exodus chapter 12, verse 5. So he said, you've got to take a lamb, and it will be without blemish, a male of the first year, and you may take it from the sheep of your goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. The reason that they would kill it at twilight was the only way to get the blood was they had to kill that lamb. And so he said, you kill that lamb and you get the blood. Now watch what takes place. And he said, and, and then you shall take some of the blood and you shall put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of your house where they eat it. So again, we see the blood of this lamb and guess what he's saying? Mark your house with the blood. Put it over the doorpost. Put it over the lintels. Same chapter. Verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. Watch this statement. And I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood, now watch this. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So the sacrifice is seen as the means of deliverance for the individual, for the family, and even a nation right here. And so the blood that we're talking about, it points to the blood of Christ. Redemption justification and sanctification. Now, I know those are big words. The word redemption means you were repurchased. You were bought back by the blood of Jesus. You were paid with incredible price. Psalms 107 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you've received Jesus as Lord of your life, his blood speaks over you. You've been redeemed. You know what the word justify means? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, we've been justified 
through the blood of Jesus. Literally stated here, I am the righteousness of God through Christ. That's what justified. You know what the word sanctified means? The word sanctified means you've been set apart. You've been declared holy because of what Jesus did. Not because of what you did. So understand this. When you see they put the blood there, nothing else mattered. The only thing that mattered that night with with Rahab was that scarlet cord. And in this passage, the only thing that mattered was the blood. It didn't matter where you lived. It didn't matter your occupation. It didn't matter if you had a PhD. It didn't matter who your mom or your daddy was. It didn't matter if you were born on the wrong side of the tracks. The only thing that God was looking for was that blood. And so you look and say, well... I see all that Old Testament-wise. How does that play into our lives in the New Testament? Go all the way back to almost the back of your Bible to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Man, I had all kinds of passages of scriptures for this, but I had to narrow it to one. Just the one tonight. Where you begin to see what the, what the blood of Jesus does for me and you. Now understand this. If you're born again. You come underneath the blood of Jesus. How do I come underneath the blood of Jesus? I appropriate it by faith. Just as, as with Rahab. She had to appropriate that scarlet cord. Just like the Israelites. They had to appropriate the blood on the... So it would look like this. Father God, I thank you for the Lord and Savior Jesus. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that your blood still speaks today. And I welcome your blood. Now, now why why is the blood so important? Watch this. Verse 7. We'll read verse 7 and then we'll jump to verse 9. But if we walk in the light, and, and it says if we walk in the light as he is in the light... That light that he's talking about that we walk in is we are to live accountably before God and before man. To walk in the light. And so again, there's times in my life, man, I'm going to obviously stand before God, but it's important at times to have people to be hold you accountable to say, how are you doing? What's up in your life? Can I pray with you? Can I stand with you? So that's what it's talking about. And so you see, walk in the light is he in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So right here we see immediately, the blood is the agency for cleansing, for forgiveness, and also for redemption. Now how do I apply the blood for for my sin? Verse 9, watch this. If we confess our sin, let me just say this, the confession of your sin is the prerequisite for you receiving the Lord's forgiveness. Now watch what he says. If we confess our sins, he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the blood will work. And so I come before God and I say, Father God, I repent of my sins. And I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to cleanse me. And so if you study the scriptures and you find out 
I've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Again, the, the devil knows the power of the blood. If I had time, I would have taken you to Revelations chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. And it talks about the devil, and it says he's the accuser of the brethren. It literally says this, that the accuser of the brethren, it says he goes before God day and night. And you know what he's doing? He's accusing you and me day and night. You know, you know why he'll go into the courts of heaven and he'll tell Father God? He said, they messed up again. Did, did you realize this was the thousandth and tenth time that he did this? And day by day, he begins to try to make a case against you. But Revelations 12 verse 11 says, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. It didn't say we overcome because we eat a lot of spinach. We overcome because we made a lot of money. We overcome because I got a, a pH. No, 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 no. So the blood of Jesus is the only thing that qualifies me. So when it says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, this is what it looks like in heaven. The, the devil is coming before God day and night, and he's accusing you. He's accusing every one of us. The problem is the things he's accusing us of is probably accurate. Because you know what he says? They've sinned. They've sinned. They've missed it again and again and again and again. But when we go before God and we confess our sins, Jesus cleanses us. So the devil's trying to make a case, and, and, and God is the great judge. And he brings the Lord Jesus in. And, and guess what the Lord Jesus is? He's your representative in court. And he comes to defend you, and the blood of Jesus silences every one of his accusations. So when the devil starts spitting out those accusations, Father God looks at him, and the Lord Jesus says, because of my blood, they're cleansed. They're washed. And the devil ejects, and he says, objection, your honor. And the Lord Jesus pulls up his robe, and he sees the stripes on his back. And the blood of Jesus speaks forever, eternally, and he says, innocent. Father God makes a ruling on our behalf because of the blood of Jesus. And so day by day by day, you must appropriate the blood. Even if it's the area of repenting of your sins. Daily by, Father God, I repent, I repent. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me. I overcome by the blood of the Lamb. I welcome the blood. Remember all the songs? Oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes white as so. There's power in the blood. There's power. Well, the spirit realm recognizes that. You want to drive the devil crazy, start singing about the blood of Jesus. But I must get to a place in my life by an act of faith that I welcome the blood of Jesus. If you're born again, and repent, ask God to forgive you and cleanse me. Here's the other thing. And I'll end with this. Start appropriating the blood. How does that look? Father God, today, I believe the Lord Jesus is the Lord of my life. And right now, Lord Jesus, I ask you to cleanse my mind with your blood. Cleanse my thinking. 
How many of you right now are having problems with your mind? Just say, Lord Jesus, wash my mind. Woo, wash my mind. How about this? Any of you ever had problems with your eyes? Every day. That's why you better appropriate the blood. Oh, Lord, I speak the blood over my eyes right now. I make a covenant with my eyes today. Wash my eyes today, Lord. Wash my hands. Wash my heart. How about this one? Wash the meditations of my thought life today. How's your thought life? Have you been dating the devil? Again, I got to begin to get the blood, and I appropriate it by speaking it and thinking. I said, oh, Lord, I welcome your blood today. I welcome I told you I was going to end. I had my fingers crossed. I got, I got one more thought. I just I sense this right now. How do you get born again? You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart. How do you appropriate the blood of Jesus? You speak with your mouth and you believe with your heart. Woo, I speak the blood, I speak the blood. I will tell you this right now. Don't be afraid to, to anoint your house with the blood. Lay hands on that. I'm telling you, if there's areas in your house that have been ungodly, go in there and repent. Lay hands on it. Here's you a good one. Why don't you lay your hands on your children's pillow and speak the blood of Jesus. Pastor, I did that two times and nothing happened. Man, I got appropriate. I got appropriate. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.